And the two um, readings we have this evening are both in Revelation. Um, If you can turn to page um, 868 of the Bibles you were given when you came in this evening. The first reading is Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And the second reading um, starts again on the same page, and it's uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 22. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed you before an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Jane. It's good to see you tonight. If you haven't met, my name is Paul. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Just before we look at Revelation, uh, thank you for your prayers. I appreciate that this week. Um, I'm healing well. Uh, Externally, I'm healing very well, so... The beard is not permanent, the beard is just here, 
uh, to cover scars and I'm not allowed to shave for a few weeks. Um, they can vote on it whether to keep the beard or not. Um, easy response cards, beard, no beard. Um, please do pray. Um, internally, I've just got what's called post-concussion stuff, which means that I'm vague and I'm dizzy quite a lot of time. So just pray for healing for that. Um, if you joined us, we are looking at the churches to uh, the, um, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Uh, we looked at what Jesus commends the church for. He commended the church for, for working hard for the gospel, uh, for holding firm to the truth, and for suffering for the gospel. And then we looked last week at what Jesus rebukes the church for. He rebuked the church for their lack of love. They've lost their first love for Jesus. Uh, he rebuked the church for their, uh, their compromise in their conduct. Uh, they were claiming to love Jesus, but they were living double lives. And he rebuked the churches for their reliance on their reputation. It was all about them, it was all about their programs, and not actually, uh, they were actually dead even though they thought they were alive. Uh, tonight we're looking at what Jesus promises the church, uh, the comfort and the hope and the promises that he gives to all those who keep trusting in Jesus. So why don't I pray, and then we'll ask the Lord for help and look at his word. Uh, Father, your word is true, it's alive, Uh, you continue to nourish us and feed us through it, and Lord, we come to you tonight hungry. Uh, Lord, feed us. Uh, Lord, encourage those who need to be encouraged, and shake those who are complacent out of their complacency. So do a good work tonight through your word and by your spirit, I pray. Amen. You ever ask the question, uh, what's the point, or why bother in your Christian life? Let's be honest, you ever woke up one day and said, what is the point of following Jesus? Why am I bothering being a Christian? Maybe you're here tonight and life hasn't turned out the way that you expected. Maybe you're disappointed by life. Maybe you're going through real hurt, real sadness, and you've been a faithful servant of Jesus, and you're asking the question, why have I bothered? What's the point of following Jesus? Maybe you're here tonight and you are struggling with a particular temptation, and you're striving to be pure, striving to be holy, striving to be godly, And yet the world is so tempting, and you're thinking, why am I bothering? Why don't I just go with the way of the world? Why don't I just give up on Jesus? And maybe here tonight, and you're thinking, I've given up another Sunday night. I could be watching TV. I could be at the theater. Why am I here again? Why bother? Why persevere following Jesus? Maybe you're here, and you're just really lonely. You're desperately lonely. And you know the Bible claims that Jesus loves you, but no other human being seems to love you, and you don't really feel God's love, and you're asking, why bother? Now be honest with yourself. Have you ever asked the question, is it really worth it? Is it worth being a Christian? Am I just being foolish? Why bother following Jesus? That's a question I want to look at tonight. Because you read Revelation, maybe you've been here and you're thinking, wow, I can't match up to those standards, and yeah, maybe I'm a fake. Well, tonight, I hope that 
the promises that God gives you would keep you going in your Christian life. Because I know lots of people, lots of friends, who have asked those questions, why bother and what's the point? And they've actually walked away from Jesus. Uh, The world was too attractive. Uh, The glitter of this world was too much for them. And they've turned their back on Christ. And they're now nowhere in their faith. And they once sat here, and they once sang the songs and said the prayers and even led youth groups. But now they just walked away because when they asked the question, why bother? And when they asked the question, what's the point? They got the wrong answers. And the issue, I think, was that when they asked the question, why bother, they looked at the here and now, and they looked at the world, and they were after the quick fix, the happiness, the success, the the nice life, the satisfaction now. And so they became despondent with Jesus. And if you look at the now, if you look at the today and look at this world, then you'll be tempted to walk away as well. And we've got to learn as a church learn as a Christian to not just fix our eyes on this world and fix our eyes on the here and now, but to fix our eyes on the future and to fix our eyes on the goal and to fix our eyes on the promise that God gives us. I mean, don't you think that you know, Ian Thorpe or, or Libby Trickett asked the question, what's the point, why bother? They got up at 4.30 in the morning to swim 100 laps, 200 laps every day. What was the point of that? What the point was they were going for a gold medal. They were going for a price, and it was all worth it. And if you just fix your eyes on the here and now, you will give up, my friends. But if you fix your eyes on the future, and the promise, and the hope, and the prize that awaits you, then you'll keep going. So we're going to look at those promises tonight. But before we do that, who are these promises for? Who will receive these promises Is it everybody? Is it every man, woman, and child? Uh, Because our world seems to think so. You know, every time somebody dies, uh, you hear the words, oh, they've gone to a better place, they're in heaven now, they're looking down on you. Is that what the Bible says? No. Is it everybody who sits in church? And again, no. Because there are people who sit in church week in, week out, but they have no relationship with Christ, and they, they talk the talk, but they live double lives, and these promises are not for them. Who are these promises for? There's a little four-word phrase that appears in all the letters. You might have spotted it. Here it is. It's to him who overcomes. Just flick through these verses with me. 2 verse 7. To him who overcomes, uh, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Uh, 2 verse 11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Uh, Down to 2 verse 17, to him who overcomes I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it. Uh, Down to 2 verse 26, Uh, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end I will give authority over the nations. It continues 3 verse 5, uh, to he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white and I'll never blot out his name from the book of life. Uh, 3 verse 12. Uh, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and never again will he leave it. And finally, 3 verse 21. To him who overcomes, 
I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I ever came and sat down with my father on his throne. Who's going to receive these promises? Who, who are this prize for, this gold for, this gold medal for? They're for him who overcomes. What does that mean? Is it the person who overcomes all the hardships of life by positive thinking? No. Is it the person who is the fittest and the strongest, a kind of gladiator style over- overcoming? No. The he who overcomes is every man and every woman and every child who just holds on to Jesus, who perseveres, who trusts, who clings on to the promises right to the very end. The he who overcomes is the one who remains faithful to their Savior, the one who stays loyal to Jesus, the one who keeps going, keeps trusting, keeps obeying, right to the day that they die. They're the ones that these promises are for. And they are amazing promises. And I hope they warm your heart and keep you going as you doubt and question and struggle. The first promise is this, that you will know Jesus. If you overcome you will be in a relationship with your Savior. You will walk with Jesus. You will know Jesus in the most intimate, the most deep, and the most complete way. Remember that church in Sardis? They thought they were alive, but they were dead. There's a few there who are faithful. What's the promise to them? Chapter 3, verse 4. Look at it in the Bibles or it's on the screen. Uh, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy and he who ever comes will like them be dressed in white the risen Lord Jesus says for those who are spiritually alive who are not arrogant not proud not self-centered for the humble dependent childlike faith Christ-centered believers they will walk with me look at that phrase walk with me what does that mean to walk with Jesus When someone says to you, will you walk with me? When your husband or your wife says, Let, let's walk together. When your friend says, let's go for a walk together. What does it mean? It means they want to spend time with you. It means that they want to be seen with you. It's that, it's that intimate thing, isn't it? Of just walking alongside somebody, enjoying their company, seeing them face to face. And the risen Lord Jesus says, I, I want to be seen with you. I want you to know me. You can walk alongside me as your friend, as your brother, as your saviour. Now here's the question, how can we walk with Jesus? If, according to Revelation 1, he's got eyes like blazing fire and a face shining like the sun, how can we walk with him? Well, it's there in a verse, isn't it? They will walk with me because they're dressed in white. And he who ever comes will, like them, be dressed in white. We can walk with Jesus because we've got the right garments, the right robes to wear. It's like a uniform. You've got access to your Savior. You can get alongside him and enjoy that intimacy because he's given you these white robes to wear. What are these white robes? The Bible always interprets the Bible. Flick over to Revelation 7. What are the white robes? Revelation 7, verse 13. One of the elders asked me, Are these in white robes? Who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. 
And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. Listen carefully. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They're the ones who have been made right by God by trusting in the blood of Jesus. They are filthy. They are unworthy, but they've been washed. They've been cleansed. They've been purified. They've been forgiven. They've been made righteous in the blood of the Lamb. That's extraordinary. A blood makes us white. Crimson blood makes you purer than the whitest snow. As Jesus shed his blood, taking the punishment you deserve, you are made clean and you're given white robes to wear. You can walk with your Savior. There's another picture of knowing Jesus in the church to Thyatira. It's there in chapter 2, verse 28. Here it is. I will also give him the morning star. And you're thinking, what on earth is that? It's not a, a daily newspaper. Uh, the morning star, according to Revelation 22, is actually Jesus himself. Because in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus Christ calls himself, he says, I am the bright morning star. He says, I'll also give him Jesus. To those who ever come, I will give him Jesus. They will enjoy me. They will share that intimate friendship with me. They'll have a part of me if you want. But more than that, look at this amazing promise to the church at Pergamum. To him who ever comes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, who knows the Bibles? What was the manna in the Old Testament? The manna was the bread from heaven. The way that God provided for his people, for the Israelites in the wilderness. As they journeyed from Egypt to Canaan, as they journeyed to the walls of promised land, God fed them manna to feed them and sustain them. And then Jesus steps into the world. Do you remember the disciples said to Jesus, uh, give us some bread, give us some manna. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me will never grow hungry. And so when Jesus promises to give to his church, to his faithful followers, uh, some hidden manna, he is promising to give them himself. I am the bread of life. I am the hidden manna. He's promising that they will feed on him for all eternity, that they will be provided for, that he will sustain them, that, that Jesus will be all that they need. And that's what it really know, means to know Jesus, my friends. To know Jesus means that you will walk with him, that you will be sustained by him. To know Jesus means that you'll have a part of him. He's not just your saviour, he's your co-heir, he's your friend, he's the one you're going to spend eternity with. And if you persevere to the end, if you say no to the world and yes to Jesus, turn back on the temptations and, and say yes to your saviour, if you overcome, if you persevere, if you hold on for this short time you have here on earth, you will feast with him forever. Now here's the issue. That promise of knowing Jesus, does it affect you? Does it warm you? Does it comfort you? Does it encourage you? And I fear not. 
Because I keep meeting people for whom their relationship with Jesus in the here and now is so superficial. And so their relationship with Jesus now is all a bit mechanical. And so I say, what does Jesus mean to you? And for them, it's just, just a man who 2,000 years ago died on a cross. But they kind of leave him there 2,000 years ago, just a figure in history, just a name on a page. But Jesus is alive now. He's with you now. He lives in you now by his Spirit. The more that you want to know Jesus now, the more that you hunger for Jesus now, the more that you long to hear his word now, the more that you want to know him now, the more that you'll long for him in eternity. And if you don't want to know him now intimately, then you won't long for him in eternity. If your hearts now are so shallow, if your relationship with Jesus, your knowledge of Jesus now is all academic, and it's not a real living relationship with your Savior today, then that promise of knowing him and walking with him and enjoying him for all eternity, it won't really impact you. And let me just say, the more I've known Jesus over the last 20 years, the more I've fallen in love with Jesus and listened to his word and heard what he said and his tough words and his tender words and his comforting words and his rebuking words, the more that my relationship with him has grown, the more I've longed to be with him, to be with my Savior in glory. I'm just urging us as a church, please let your relationship with Jesus now be real, living, active, growing, deepening relationship with Jesus. So that promise of eternal knowledge of Jesus means something to you. The second promise is, is even more mind-blowing. Here it is. If you overcome, you will reign with Jesus. You'll be seated on his throne. Now, I didn't get that this week. Now, that's the promise to the faithful among the, the lukewarm church of Laodicea. Look at the words with me. It's in 3 verse 21. Well, it's on the screen. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We're given the right, we're given the privilege or the authority to sit with Jesus on his throne. A throne is a place of honor. A throne is a place of privilege, of rule, of governing. And yet we've been given that right. It's kind of like I've been given a, a certificate by the Queen to say, I give the right for Paul Dale to sit on the throne with me in England. I'd love that. <laughs> I would say to sit on her lap, but that might be inappropriate. <laughs> But what does it mean that she's given me a right to sit on her throne with her? Doesn't it mean that she has conveyed onto me some kind of authority? Some kind of power? That I will make come some kind of decisions? That I will rule with her? And if that's doing your head in, that's exactly what Jesus tells the church in Thyatira. 2 verse 26, he says, To him who overcomes... And does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. 
just as I have received authority from my Father. And notice again those words, I will give. It's a gift. It's undeserved. But Jesus shares with us his rule, his authority. He's quoting Psalm 2. It's a great messianic psalm. And we always read Psalm 2 about the Son, about the Son being given authority to rule and to judge. But this is the incredible promise that for all faithful Christians, we will share in his rule. We will share in his reign. And exactly how this works out is beyond my present knowledge. But I guess it does mean that we've been given some kind of responsibility in heaven, some power in heaven. We will be given some sort of uh, judgment, if you want, in heaven. We will rule the nations. Those who will be condemned will have some say in that. It's a privilege, it's a permanence, it's a stability of reigning with our Savior. That's the promise to Philadelphia as well. I will make them a pillar in the temple. A pillar is a picture of security and stability and immovability. And if you think, oh, this is just bizarre revelation stuff, no, it's not. Because the Apostle Paul says exactly the same thing. 2 Timothy 2. If we endure, we will also reign with him. He's saying, Jesus endured the pain of crucifixion, and he sat down at the right hand of his Father. Jesus conquered the world, the flesh, and the devil, and he was exalted to the Father's right hand. And if we endure, if we endure this world, and if we, we remain loyal and faithful, if we conquer the world, the flesh, and the devil, not by our own strength, but by his grace and his power, then we too will be exalted and we will share in some way with Jesus' throne. Now, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it does blow my mind to keep going, to keep persevering. It reminds me that Jesus is on that throne already, isn't he? He's just waiting for me to join him. He's on that throne. He's ruling, he's reigning right here, right now. Now, if you are suffering, if you are being persecuted, I, I guess that would bring you hope and comfort. That your persecutors do not rule. Uh, your persecutors do not reign. Jesus reigns. Now, here's the final promise. It's predictable, but mind-blowing. If you ever come, you'll have eternal life in Jesus. Do you remember how the first man and the first Adam disobeyed? What happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed? They were banished from the garden and they were cut off from what? From the tree of life. God placed a flaming sword around the tree of life and it was a no-go area, so eternal life, life with God forever was not an option anymore. Well, look at this promise to the church in Ephesus. To him who overcomes... I will give the right or the privilege to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. At the end of time, God's faithful people will be given free access to this tree of life again. Uh, They'll be given eternal life. Uh, What does that mean? Well, look at these words. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. To have eternal life, to be access to the tree of life, is the same as to have the crown of life. Uh, Jesus says, keep going, keep persevering, because there's a crown waiting for you. There's a prize waiting for you. It's called life. This crown is not a, 
a tiara. It's not a, don't laugh, it's not a royal crown. It, 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 it's a wreath, it's a garland, it, it's a medal uh, that the athlete would get for, for crossing the finish line. Uh, but it's not just the first person over the line. Everybody who crosses the finish line gets the medal. I find out on Tuesday whether I've got the, the green light or the red light to do the Ironman next Sunday. Uh, in the Ironman, uh, it's not just the first person who crosses a line and gets a medal. It's not about winning. It's just about persevering and enduring to the end. It's a long, hard slog. But everybody who crosses that finish line gets the medal. And you know, if you persevere in your Christian life through the pain and the toil and the hardship and the struggle... There's one who's at that finish line. He's called, according to 2 verse 8, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the one who died and came to life again. He's there at the finish line, handing you the crown of life, handing you the medal. And to him who overcomes, you won't be hurt by the second death. Again, what does the second death mean? Bible interprets Bible. Revelation 21 says the second death is the, the fiery lake of burning sulfur the place of eternal punishment, the home of the cowardly, the unbeliever, the vile, the immoral, the idolaters, the liar. Hell is a reality, but if you're trusting in Jesus, you will not be hurt by the second death. You'll get the crown of life. You'll get eternal life. He's saying you may suffer, you may face death, but you'll have life. What is eternal life? When I say you have eternal life, what does that mean to you? Please don't just think quantity. Please don't just think a life that goes on forever. Yeah, it will go on forever. It's not just about quantity. The word eternal is all about the quality of your life. Eternal life, according to John 17, Jesus says this is eternal life, that they may know the one true God. Eternal life is, is a perfect life that God intended you to live a life without pain, a life without suffering, a life without loneliness, a life without hardships, a life without sin. Eternal life is the perfect, good, pure, perfect life that God created you to live. I've been packing boxes for the last couple of days. I'm moving in about 10 days' time. I've been in Sydney for almost eight years. I came with a few books and a few CDs, and a few clothes, and a few photos. And I have collected over the last seven years so much, I would say a word with a C, but I'll say so much stuff. <laughs> so much stuff. It's rubbish. And that kind of is my life, if you want. My life in boxes. I've got my triathlon life and I've got my church life and I've got my relationship life and I've got all these books and these possessions and all this crockery and all this stuff. And you know, I could get hit by a car tomorrow. And all that stuff was sit in boxes. Because this is not life. This is not real life. This is just the preparation for the eternal life that's to come. This is just the overture if you want. Please don't put your hope or put your energy into stuff, into possession, to qualifications, as if this is all it is. This is not it. We're heading for eternal life.
a life that will last, a life that will last forever, but more than that, where the quality is just beautiful. Do you want that? Do you long for the day when you're without sin and without hardships and without trouble and without sadness? And more importantly, are you sure of that? Are you sure that you've got eternal life? Because you can be. Jesus tells us you can be. He says, him who overcomes will be like them dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. But I will acknowledge his name before my father. You can be sure because God's got a book, a register. And anybody who trusts in Jesus, your name is in it. I don't know whether you've ever turned it to a function where you need to, have to be on a guest list to get in. It might be a party, it might be a business function, but you rock up in your suit and there's someone at the door saying, yes, who are you? Is your name here? And you know, even when I'm absolutely confident that, that my name's on that list, part of my mind is going, have they forgotten? Am I going to look stupid? I'm going to turn up and my name's not there? Okay. Jesus has shed his blood for you. Jesus has written your name in blood in the book of life. And on that last day, God will open the book and look at it. Jesus will acknowledge his name. Jesus will acknowledge your name before the Father. Oh yeah, Paul Dale, he's mine. Oh yeah, X, he's mine. Y, he's mine. And that's what I can wake up every day and I go, yeah, it's not about a name on a church register somewhere, it's about a name in the book of life. And my name is there. And I'm longing for that book to be open so that I can receive the eternal life. Why bother? What's the point? You can know Jesus intimately, beautifully. You can walk with him. You can reign with Jesus. You can enjoy eternal life with him. So how do you persevere? How do you make sure that you are the one who overcomes? I'll leave you with these two words. Hold on. That's what Jesus says time and again. Hold on. Trust me. 2 verse 25. Only hold on to what you have until I come. It's not about learning new things. It's not about new ideas and new perspectives. It's about holding on to the truth. Holding on to to Jesus. Grab hold of who he is, what his word teaches. Uh, 3 verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. So no one will take your crown. Hold on, a picture of a, of a child just grabbing onto his father. Or more literally, the father grabbing onto the child. The father grabbing onto the child because, you know, he loves him. And he won't let him go. And no matter what the world throws at you, whatever fears you go through, to know that there's one who's gone before you, he is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the eternal one. He's the victorious one. He is the one who knows. I know, I know, I know, he keeps saying. I know your trials. I know your sufferings. I know your hardships. I know you, and I'm there holding on to you, waiting for you. So church by the bridge, please hold on. Please hold on to the Lord Jesus, to his truth, to his promises. Please persevere. The reality is that uh, many of you will leave this church and go to other churches. I, may, I might leave this church and go to another church. I might not see you 
on the day that you die. <laughs> but I do pray that you would hold on to the very end, that you keep trusting in your Savior, because those promises are worth trusting in. Let me pray. I'm going to pray these words from 2 Timothy. And I'll make them our own. Lord, I pray that we would fight the good fight. That we would finish the race. And that we would keep the faith. Knowing that in store for us is the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to all of us on that day who persevere and to overcome. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name.